0: Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we look toward Easter Sunday. Our guest speaker, Curtis Zachary, brings us the second message that points us to hope in this Easter season. He begins by pointing out that the Easter story is for everyone, and it still matters for today. Curtis helps us find new meaning in the retelling of what happened on that Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago as he reminds us that Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was no mystery or surprise to the people living there. They knew the stories from the prophets and hailed their long-awaited king.
1: We're going to pray again. (laughs) I know we just prayed, but... Man, I'm just super hopeful uh, that every time that we get to spend time together, that God would inhabit uh, our connection together, it says in the word, that when we connect in his name, that he's in our presence, and we know that God is everywhere, and uh, he is huge, but we still want to be intentional to say, this is your time, God, have your way, we need you to speak to us, so uh, let's just pray, ask God to bless this time, and uh, ask him to speak to us. So, Father, we are grateful. We're just grateful for an opportunity to be in your presence. God, we have no question that you are big enough and that you have the ability to speak to us. God, so we are asking that you would do just that. Whether we have been spending time in church for a long time or this is our first time in church, we're new to this whole idea of Jesus We're just asking that you would show us something, God. If you're real and we need you to speak to us, many of us are praying. And so we're asking that you would do that, that you would speak to us, that you'd show us something and that our hearts would be ready to receive whatever it is that you have. And we're praying with open hands, ready for you to take from us whatever you want to take from us and give to us whatever you think we need. God, we're praying John 3.30 is true, that you would be huge and that we would be small. And that everything that happens during these moments together would point to you. We love you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we were together and we started talking about how we were pointing to hope. And the idea of Easter being bigger than just a holiday that's for other people. A lot of times we get caught up in this idea that Easter is for other people it's especially if we've spent any time in church right so uh, many of us are here and we've been a part of church for a long time and so easter has become something for us that has kind of just dumbed down a little bit, as embarrassing as it is to say, like we become numb to the stories that surround Easter. Many of us uh, don't even understand the full context of what transpired and what we celebrate about Easter. But Easter has become something that is for other people. It's a good Sunday to invite our friends, our neighbors, people who are really out there, whatever we consider or classify that. Like that's what Easter is for. But last week we spent some time talking about how the story is for everyone. That we understand the implications of that story. Uh, We're included in the story. That Genesis all the way to Revelation point to one central idea that Jesus is our salvation. We are all in the story. So the story matters for every single person. And there's no right or wrong side of the cross. We all meet at the cross. We need the hope of glory, the redemption that comes from Jesus. So we point to that hope. And then this week, this week we want to continue on that conversation, pointing to hope. Not just simply saying that the story is for everyone, but I want us to realize that the story matters for today. The story of Jesus matters for today. We can get caught up in this idea that we look at Jesus as this figure, the one who in this fable died on the cross for our sins so that we can go to heaven. Many of us have that main central focus when it comes to Easter. But my contention, my belief, my uttermost feeling is that we need to understand that the story of Jesus, the story of Easter matters for today. Not just later on, but right now. And I want to look at the word and see how that informs and it encourages that idea. And, And what we're celebrating starting today, Sunday, Palm Sunday, is the beginning of Holy Week. And we talked about with Christmas being this idea of Advent, this expectant waiting, like we're expectantly waiting for something to happen. It's the incarnation, the made fleshness of God. He comes down in the form of a human being. In Philippians chapter two, it talks about how he didn't count equality with God as something to hold on to, but he let go. He poured himself out so that he could come and inhabit earth to ultimately culminate in what we're celebrating this week, this holy week, like we advent for Christmas, but this week we are expectantly waiting the culmination of the story of Jesus on earth. And it's interesting because what we celebrate on Palm Sunday, some of us have heard this story of how Jesus entered into Jerusalem. But we're going to talk about that today. But that story actually had a little foreshadowing. There were like some arrows that were pointing to this happening. Back in Zechariah chapter 9 in the Old Testament, there was a prophecy. And the prophecy foretold that one day there would be a king who would come and he would rescue the people who were about to enter into this oppression. Their current standing, their current situation was not one that they had to settle into because they could have great hope that one day there would be a king a rescuer a savior and he will restore all that has been broken now you got to imagine that these people who were in this oppressive situation in the situation that they were not settled into their connectedness as a people they were hopeful for this idea and Zechariah chapter 9 points to what happens during holy week let's look at this in chapter 9 And it says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now check this out. There is a prophecy that one day there will be one who will come and he will rescue, he will restore, he will be the king that you are longing for. The oppressor, the one that is holding you down, the one that is keeping you captive will be defeated by this king. And check it out, this king is not going to come like any other king that you've ever seen. He's going to come on a donkey. Now what is the significance of this donkey? Some of us have heard this and we say, man, Jesus rode in on a donkey. Why in the world would Jesus, if he is truly Jesus, would he come on a donkey? Let's fast forward a little bit we're going to go to this story, this Holy Week story, Palm Sunday, Matthew chapter 21, and we're going to look at the actual thing transpire, then we'll talk a little bit about this donkey. Because what we see right here is there is a promise being made in Zechariah that there will be a Savior. Well, in Matthew chapter 21, the promise is kept. Matthew 21 verse 1, it says, now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the mount of olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, "Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me." So God knew, Jesus knew, there's going to be a donkey and a colt there. I want you to go, I want you to find them, I want you to untie them, and I want you to bring them to me. Now check out this little statement right here. This is pretty cool. It says, "If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So right here we see, the reference to the prophecy. Remember, there was a promise that one day the Savior would come, and when the Savior comes, he is going to come riding on a donkey entering into Jerusalem. So I love how he says that. He says to his disciples, go get the donkey. If they try to stick you up for taking the donkey, just say, hey, the Lord needs this bad boy, and they're just going to let him go. Lord needs this one. Ah, my bad. You got it. So then they take the donkey, they bring the donkey back to Jesus, and then there's a reference back to Zechariah chapter 9. And the reference says, because there was a promise, this is about to go down. Jesus is about to ride on this donkey into Jerusalem. So then we see in verse 5 where that is referenced, and then in verse 6, The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, and he sat on them. Now, this is what's interesting about this whole donkey thing. Jesus is about to enter into Jerusalem to stake claim to the kingdom that is at hand. He is about to enter into Jerusalem to fulfill this prophecy that has been set forward back in Zechariah. These people who have been oppressed are fully aware of what's transpiring. They understand what's going down. For there to be one who has been doing what Jesus has been doing in and throughout the city. Remember, he's been doing these crazy miracles and people have been hearing about the notoriety of this Jesus. He's been preaching this message of this coming kingdom. He's been raising people from the dead, healing the sick. He's feeding all these people with meager portions. And now there is this Jesus who's been doing these amazing things about to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. Now, this is what we need to get. Imagine if you were a part of a people that have been oppressed forever and there has been this story, there has been this lore that there will come a day where one will come riding on a donkey and the one that's riding on the donkey will be the savior of our people. Imagine there has to be such a level of anticipation for this. Like it was not missed on them what was happening. For us, we have to dig and we have to look at the different parts of the story and piece together the scriptures, look at the Old Testament, look at the New Testament. But the people here that are lining the streets of Jerusalem, there is no mystery about the significance of this one riding on a donkey. They know the story and they have been waiting. This is important for us to understand. Now the donkey... What in the world? Why would there be a donkey? If he is a king, a king who is going to come and save us, why would he come on a donkey? Well, all of the kings of the day, when they would enter into a city, if they would return from battle, or they wanted to announce their presence, they would come with great chariots. They would come with horns. They would come with regalia. They would come with large groups of people. They would come with all sorts of fanfare. And they would enter in so that they could reveal and show their absolute power and presence. They would do all of this. They would sound the horns. They would send the people ahead. The chariots would be huge to show how much power that king had. So why would Jesus come on a donkey? Well, number one, it fulfills this prophecy. But number two, Jesus, by riding this donkey into Jerusalem, is saying, my kingdom is not like any kingdom of this world. Jesus is saying, I don't need the regalia. I don't need the big chariots. I don't need the horns. I don't need any of that to announce that I am king. I am the fulfillment of everything that you are longing for. Jesus embodies every single bit of what is necessary for the people of God to be redeemed. These other kings needed to shout out and, and stand firm on their ability to show who they were. And Jesus says, no, I simply embody everything. And my kingdom is not of this world. I don't get regarded based upon how I look. I'm regarded because of who I am. Man, Jesus rides on a lowly donkey to fulfill the prophecy, but yet to show the world that his humility, he made himself less so that we might know who his father is. And let's go skip to verse eight, where we have a great hope fulfilled. It says, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, And others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting. So check it out. He's coming in on this donkey, and as he's coming in, they know the prophecy. They know what's supposed to happen, so they see this one riding on the donkey. They've been hearing the stories for years and years and years that one day, the one riding the donkey will be our Savior. Now he is coming into Jerusalem. He's riding this donkey, and we see that they are very clearly identifying him as victorious. You know how I know this? Because it says that they take off their jackets and they throw them on the road. So he's riding this donkey and the donkey can walk on their jackets. And then it says that they broke these branches off the trees, these palm branches. And they're waving these branches and they're throwing them on the street. You know what this signified in the day? It signified that this was a victorious ruler. If someone came home from battle, they would treat them that way. If they came home winning the victory, they would wave the palm branches and say, oh, you won, you won. They would throw the cloak saying, you won. But then there's this significant thing that happens. They take it one step further. So they're waving the palm branches and they're throwing their jackets. They're signifying that this one is victorious. But you know how I know that they believe that Jesus is who they think he is? It's because of this one word. It's this word that we sang. It's this word that has such significant and such weight weight to it that they would know exactly what they were saying. And this word is Hosanna. Hosanna doesn't simply just mean praise you, God. Hosanna doesn't simply mean we lift you up. The word Hosanna simply means save us. And it says right here in the scripture that the crowds went before him And that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. They were yelling out to him who was riding on the donkey. Save us. Save us save us. And then you see how it referenced son of David. The reason that they call out son of David is that in the prophecy, in the promise that there would be one who would come and rescue them, that one would be in the line of David. So they're saying very clearly, number one, Hosanna, save us because we believe you can save us. And number two, son of David, because we believe you are absolutely the one that's been foretold. This is huge. You guys, this is huge. They're lining up the streets and they're saying, this is the savior. There's no question about it. They're publicly identifying themselves with this idea. They're throwing their jackets. They're unashamedly yelling out, save us, worthy, holy, holy. Lifted them up, right? Son of David, you are who he said. So remember, they are unabashed in their celebration that they will be saved. They believe that Jesus is the one but it's interesting how this kind of transpires because we remember that they're there absolutely identifying that Jesus is the one that's been prophesied and number two, that this is our savior. It's fulfilling everything that we were waiting for. But then there's some events that kind of unfold over the next couple of days in this holy week. It says that the next day after Jesus shows up in Jerusalem on this donkey that he goes into the temple. And I would encourage you guys to continue to read the story. He goes into the temple and it says that he goes in and he starts turning some tables over talking about how they had turned this place of worship into a den of thieves. They were disrespecting the temple, the place where you would find the presence of God. Then he goes on to do some different things in the city that are starting to create some questions about who this Jesus really is. So we see Jesus come in with full celebration. But in a matter of days, our nature is on display. Our nature is on display. I don't know if you guys have this, but I have this nature, this sin nature. And this sin nature has a temptation to try to please itself. Even as a follower of Jesus, my desire at times through my flesh is to try to figure out ways to please myself. And I need to trust that the spirit of God inside of me will transcend and suppress that desire. But there are times when our nature is on display. Would you agree with this? What's interesting about this is our nature, human nature, is about to be on display. Because remember, they were lining the streets and they were saying, Hosanna, save us, Son of David, you are the one. We believe it's you, but in a matter of days, the story gets switched up to where when we go to Matthew chapter 27, we see the one that was celebrated as the Savior is now captured. And at the point where he is about to be put to death. What in the world happened in that matter of days? Let's go to Matthew 27 and take a look. In verse 20. It says, now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. What? How did we get here? It says that the chief priests and the elders i.e. the most important religious people in the city are asking for Jesus to be put to death and they're convincing the crowd to do that same thing. Well, let's just go back just a little bit because those chief priests and those scribes, if we look at the the real estate that happens between 21 and 27, we see that these very important people are starting to go around because they feel threatened by who Jesus is. And they start saying, wait a minute, I thought the savior was going to come and he was going to crush the enemy. I thought the savior was going to come and he was going to bring great power and that he was going to bring an army. And when he brings the army, they were going to defeat the oppressor. This dude doesn't look like he's doing that. This dude went in the temple and turned over the tables. And now the ways that we made money are being disrupted. Wait, no, this can't be the savior, can it? And Jesus continues on in his journey throughout the week. And as they look at his attributes, he is looking less and less like what they expected. Because remember, for years, you got to imagine when they said that there's going to be a king who will come that will crush the oppressor. You think, man, he is going to come in here and he is going to wreck shop right he's gonna bring an army he's gonna bring force and when he shows up the army will rise up and he will physically crush the enemy but we see jesus come with a completely different posture he said my kingdom's not out of this world remember this So now the chief priests and the scribes are starting to spread the message going, wait, Jesus isn't who you think he really is. He's a liar. And if he's a liar, then that means that he's claiming to be God and he has no right to do that. We need to kill him. And the people who were just days before saying, Hosanna, save us. We believe it's you are starting to get stirred up towards something else. And in verse 20, we get to this place where there's a custom and the custom of the day is that they would release a prisoner. For celebration, there would be this release of one that was held captive. And this dude, Barabbas, is a known criminal. And so it's basically down to Jesus or Barabbas. And Pilate, who is in charge of administering the punishment right here, brings them before the crowd. Both of these guys, and he says, who do you want me to let go? In verse 20, it says, now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Then Pilate. Look at what Pilate says. This is the one that's administering the discipline here. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? This is what's interesting. He says, what do I do with these two? And they say, give us Barabbas. Give us the known criminal. Give us the dangerous one that we just got taken off the streets. We want to take him back and kill Jesus. And Pilate has to ask again, wait a minute, are you sure you understand what you're saying? You want Barabbas? Give us Barabbas. Then he even says, well, what am I supposed to do with Jesus? Because Pilate understands as he's dialoguing with Jesus, as he's spending time with Jesus, it doesn't seem like this Jesus dude should be up for death right now. Even Pilate is saying this. So he says, well, what am I supposed to do with Jesus? Jesus. And remember just days before, these people were lining the streets, taking off their jackets, identifying themselves publicly with one message. Save us. Save us. Save us. Save us. They were yelling, save us. Pilate talks to the same crowd only days later and he says, what am I supposed to do with Jesus and what does that crowd say? Let him be crucified. Kill him, kill him, kill him. The same crowd who days before said, this is the prophecy fulfilled. This is the hope restored. This is the one that will save us. The same crowd, because it didn't look like what they thought it was gonna look like, because they allowed the religious people to fill their head with lies. All of a sudden, they look at their savior and they say, crush him, kill him. Our nature's on display. You know how I know it's on display? Because I think about... 9-11, you guys remember where you were in 9-11? Everybody has a vivid memory, understanding, idea of where they were. If you weren't old enough to have experienced this moment, this pivotal moment in the history of our country, it was a significant day. And everyone that was old enough to have a moment of presence inside of that remembers where they were. And this is what's interesting. On 9-12, I had never in my life, Seen so many people in my neighborhood, in my city, on TV, talking about the need to be with God. I'd never seen anything like it. Man, they were opening churches for 24 hours a day. People were praying, talking about praying. People I'd never even heard to- about talking about praying are now all of us talking about reading the Bible, trying to go buy a Bible, hanging out with people, praying together. On 9-12, there was an explosion of awareness for the need for God. There was no question about it. We need help. We need God. We need Him. We need something. But then as time transpired and weeks began to progress, slowly but surely, the churches weren't as full as they were a few weeks ago. We got to a place where there was this sense of urgency where everyone felt so unsafe that they knew that they needed a reckoning with God. To so where now a matter of weeks later when things start to settle down and we don't feel as unsafe anymore, our need for God lessens. It was just like that for me with Katrina. I remember I went and did some work with this ministry in New Orleans, and it was right after Katrina, and I had this privilege to go for uh, once a month, I would go and hang out for a week with some folks and just hang out and spend some time, do some uh, hanging out with some folks and talking and things like that, serving in some different areas. It was an amazing time, but it was so incredible because so many people were receptive to the message of Jesus. Man, they were wanting to hear about this hope in Jesus. They were wanting to hear about this protection that comes from God. They were wanting to try to figure out, where do I go to church? How do I pray? Do you have a Bible? Man, I would love, man, they were so thirsty. But then a matter of weeks later, by the tail end of the time that I spent in New Orleans, man, there weren't as many people that were excited about God. You know why? Because once the water started to dry up, And the provisions, they got to the front of the line finally for the provisions and then they got some money in their pockets and they started to feel a little bit security. The need for God began to lessen. Isn't that interesting how we do that? Our nature is on display and right here we see this very thing transpire. Man, they are so aware that the Savior needs to come. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy. But as things start to play out, it doesn't look exactly like they thought it was going to look. And because it looks different, they allow the voices, the talking heads to begin to talk to us about this is just an imposter like all the rest of the imposters. And they go from believing with all of their hearts that this is Hosanna, save us, to this is just another imposter, kill him. Friends, we can't let this happen to us. (laughs) The temptation to go from Hosanna, Easter, Holy Week, worship to, man, but I'm good now. I don't need them. When things start to settle down. You know why I think that happens? I think it happens because we miss the point. We simply miss the point of Easter. And it seems so interesting because how in the world would we miss the point in Easter? Easter is the greatest story ever told. How could we miss the point? And I think it's interesting how it happens for us. But it's important that we realize that it does. If we go back to that prophecy in Zechariah chapter nine, in verse 10, it says this. It says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His, his rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. You know what's interesting? This prophecy comes saying there will be one that comes on the donkey and he will be the savior. But look at what he's going to do. He doesn't talk about in the prophecy how he is going to come and crush the oppressor with physical force. No, it says that he's going to come and he's going to bring peace into the world. Basically, in these verses, what he's talking about is taking weapons of warfare and turning them into methods for peace. In the book of Isaiah, it actually talks about how he's going to take the weapons and bend them and turn them into plows. And the lion will lay with the lamb. There will be peace that reigns. Friends, this is what the prophecy was talking about. He says, man, the kingdom is going to come. But when the kingdom comes, I will redeem the world through love and peace. We miss the point. They miss the point. They thought he was going to come with force. But the same prophecy that told them that he was going to come also goes on to say, but it's not going to look like anything you ever thought. But they skipped that part. We do the same thing. We skip the We missed the point of Easter. We think that Easter is simply about Jesus dying on the cross so that we can go to heaven. Man, that is a beautiful, amazing, celebratory idea that one day when I die, I will go to heaven. But you know what's so much more amazing to me right now is that the kingdom of God is alive on earth right now. That I can experience peace in my life right now. That my habitual sin and the things that I struggle with over and over again, my shame, my guilt, the things that weigh me down can be taken off right now. Jesus came so that we can have peace right now, friends. We miss the point when we make it simply about dying and go to heaven. I know that this is true because of what we just saw in the prophecy. Remember what we pray in Matthew chapter 6 verse 9. We spent a lot of time talking about this. It says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done where? On earth. He wants us to pray that heaven comes to earth now. He wants to see his kingdom come to earth now. Jesus died, not only so that we could go to heaven, but he came. So that his kingdom reign would inhabit the earth now. What are the implications of that? Well, we view the cross without a kingdom. We see it as a method of escape, but no implications for what happens in our daily lives right now. And when that happens, we basically cheat the story. Cause it says in John chapter 10 verse 10, Jesus says, I came to give you life and life to the full more abundantly, right now. We get to spend eternity with the king, and that is the most amazing thing that we celebrate. But he wants us to experience his presence right now, friends. There's one last thing that I I just want to (laughs) share about this story, the story of Jesus that he came and fulfilled this prophecy and how quickly we swi- switched our mindset and, and our nature became on display. But this is what's interesting. You know, Jesus goes uh, into the, the, the city of Jerusalem and, and he rides on a donkey and they say, Hosanna, and the next day he goes into that temple. What's interesting about that temple story is it says that he turns over the tables because they were disrespecting the temple. It, it, he was turning it into a den of thieves, he was saying. But what's interesting about that whole idea of the temple is that Jesus goes in there with the authority to be able to turn those tables over for one reason and one reason alone. That temple was well known as the place where you experience the presence of God. Guess what Jesus was saying with his life? I am the temple. (laughs) I am here in this temple. What you're trying to do to this temple, what you're trying to do in this temple, man, it's irrelevant. I am the one that inhabits the presence of God. You need to know me. Jesus was stating very clearly that heaven and earth have intersected. And when he came here, it became way more about than dying and go to heaven. He says, no, the presence, the kingdom of God is in rain right now. Easter isn't simply about how to get to heaven. Easter is the proclamation that the kingdom of God is alive on earth right now. Friends, I want us to be encouraged by this truth. I don't know where you are, but if you are hungry to experience freedom in your life, if you feel like there have been these routines that have Weighed you down there has been sin that has been holding you captive There have been things that you feel like are way too much for you to bear There are relationships that seem beyond repair. There are sicknesses that seem beyond healing I want you to know that jesus came not so that when we die we would experience freedom But we would begin to experience his freedom his grace his forgiveness right now on earth as it is in heaven I Pray that you would believe that father Thank you so much that this is true. I thank you so much that this is not just a story. The story is for everyone, and the story matters today. We point to hope, and next week, God, we celebrate, we sing through tears, through raised voices, the fact that you are risen, you are resurrected, you are alive. And God, because you are alive, we can celebrate the fact that you can provide life for us, freedom for us, joy for us, Rescue for us right now on earth as it is in heaven. I pray that that would be true for us, that we would believe and that we would trust that you can do that. God, you're awesome. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.